Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. So if any of you've listened to my podcast before, you may have heard me say a thing or two about how I feel about the toxic diet culture and the messaging that we are all bombarded with um, all of the time. And you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I really hate those messages. I think that um, they do damage to us and our self-esteem to have the message out there that your value, your worth um, as a person is based on, you know, you reaching the, you know, body that's most ideal that, you know, toxic diet culture puts out there. Um, the, you know, if you're in a smaller body, you have more value and worth or more healthy. I think that's really damaging. And, you know, that message I don't think is going to go away anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, I wish it would, but it's not. And these messages are prevalent in so many forms of media, whether it's movies, you know, posts on social media, radio, they're all over the place. And so, um, you know, I'm going to talk about that again today with our guest and not to be kind of repetitive with things I've said in the past, but I think because the messages out there um, from the diet and beauty industry uh, are repeated over and over again, it's really hard to challenge your own thoughts and beliefs to counter those things if you're not hearing other messages over and over again as well. And so I do think it's important for us to have continued conversations about why those messages are not true, why your value and worth are not dependent on you being a smaller body, why your health is not uh, better being in a smaller body. I think we just need to continually challenge those things. And I'm really looking forward to having a discussion um, today about those things and about what it's like to be a woman in today's society in terms of body image, aging, um, and the pressure that's on um, people to look a certain way and to try to control their bodies. So um, with that being said, uh, Summer Inanen is a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence. She is the host of her own podcast, Eat the Rules, and creator of You on Fire, which is an online group coaching program dedicated to helping people get free from body shame. She also co-runs the Body Image Coach Certification Program, to train professionals to be better equipped to work with clients around body image. She helps people all over the world to stop living behind the numbers on their scale through her private and group coaching. I'm really excited to have her on. All right. Well, Summer, I'm excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. So, um, you know, as with all my guests, I always like to hear a little bit about like how you uh, landed here at your at this time in your career and um, maybe in your life. I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about like your journey. Sure. So I feel like my journey is probably similar to 
a lot of people in that, um, you know, I, I grew up never really feeling good in my body. I don't really remember a time, maybe when I was a very young child, but from a very young age, you know, I remember even just like in grade three, starting to feel self-conscious about my body and concerned about my body. And, um, and my mom was a chronic dieter, um, and I was bullied for my body quite a bit. And so I just felt a lot of shame for my body. And because we're told to value ourselves based on how we look, I internalized that as me being unworthy. And I thought that, of course, I didn't have the awareness of this when I was young, but <laughs> looking back, I have the awareness of this now. But um, I thought that if I could change my body, then, you know, I would be more desirable, I would be more likable, I would be more popular, um, and just internally feel more worthy, which we know, you know, changing your body doesn't actually uh, help you with that belief or those feelings. But that's what we're that's the message that we're sold. And so um, I became a chronic dieter for decades of my life. And it got to the point where I had a very disordered relationship with food. It was, I was always on the like, okay, restrict Monday, Monday through Friday. And then Friday night, like eat everything weekend, eat everything and then kind of repeat. And I was on that for years and I had, um, I was addicted to exercise as, as well. That was sort of my primary coping mechanism, body control mechanism. Uh, I think had I properly been diagnosed, I probably would have had something like that would have been considered exercise bulimia I believe it's called mm. um however um no professional ever every, everyone sort of encouraged my behaviors because on the surface everything looked quote-unquote healthy right and I think that's obviously a huge problem in our culture is that we perceive disordered habits as being healthy habits uh and it wasn't until I was in I was about you know 30 31 that I started to notice that no matter what I did my body was was actually gaining weight instead of losing weight. And I thought that I was broken. I thought there was something wrong with me. And I saw multiple doctors. And it wasn't until I finally had a doctor look at what I was eating and how I was exercising say to me, you know, you've got a problem here. And my hormone levels were the same as a postmenopausal woman. So um, my hormone cycle, I hadn't had a period in a couple of years. Um, and, and that was causing other issues with other hormones in my body. Um, and as a result, uh, you know, she said to me, she's like, you need to exercise less. Like you need to just do like walking or yoga instead of doing CrossFit twice a day and, uh, and eat more and especially, you know, carbohydrates. And so, it was a huge wake up call moment for me. And I remember sitting in my car and, and crying after that appointment, not because my hormone levels were that of a postmenopausal woman, but because she had told me that I couldn't exercise as much as I was exercising. That's what I was upset about. And that's when I knew I had a problem. Like I was like, okay, something isn't right here that I'm more upset about this than what I'm actually doing to my body. And um, it led me down a path of, of recovery and um, getting support around that. And through that, I really realized that the primary catalyst was my body image and the way I felt in my body. And more specifically, the fact that the way I felt about myself as a whole was dependent on 
my body size and my, how I felt about my appearance. And at the time when all of this happened, um, I was working as a nutritionist, which I'm partially ashamed to say, but I think a lot of people that go into the health and wellness field, unfortunately, do have a disordered relationship with food. Not everyone, but I think that I've had many conversations with people who had similar pathways. Um, and I was working with people around, you know, weight loss at the time. And it wasn't until I started doing this work that I realized, like, that pursuit of weight loss is actually the issue here. And it's causing the us to have this disordered relationship with food and exercise and, and hate our body even more. And so I gradually started transitioning my practice to uh, take more of like an intuitive eating approach and um, started to incorporate some body image work. And, and it was then that I decided I, I, I ended up taking a couple different coaching trainings. And I realized that those frameworks and tools would be amazing for supporting people with body image and self-worth. And so that's when I transitioned over to being a body image coach and, and specifically working with people around body image and self-worth and confidence. And I've been doing that for like exclusively for almost 10 years now. And, um, and all, we also teach uh, other providers and professionals how to, how to help their clients with, with body image too. So I know that was a bit more long-winded than perhaps <laughs> I meant it to be, but that's, that's, that was the trajectory and how I got uh, really passionate about this area of, of work. No, I, I love that you shared all of that. Thank you. And it, you know, gives such a context to like your work and what you do and, and why you do it. And I think to your point, I think a lot of us in the field, uh, we've walked the walk and, um, I do think that's helpful. Like I've always said on here and I've shared with my patients too, you know, I didn't have through my recovery, anyone that could look me in the eye and say, Hey, I get it. You know, like, mm -hmm. and I think as, as much as I valued my treatment team, it was a little scary to like, not have somebody like know what exactly I was going through and know exactly you know, when you have, I call it Ed, you know, eating disorder of mind and all of that going on, it's it, to the outside person who's never experienced that. It's, it does sound a little, uh, it, I call it a little, it doesn't sound normal, right? I mean, it's just something very nuanced about eating disorder and body image stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, why would you want to exercise twice a day and do CrossFit? Like that sounds exhausting, right? Like, but for you, it felt like, what do you mean? I can't do this, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it gives you that sense of, I mean, it's a coping mechanism, really. So it's just, a, a unfortunately, a coping mechanism that's kind of celebrated um, that, you know, I mean, movement can be great, like, don't get me wrong. But when you're damaging your body, that's when it becomes uh, really problematic. And it's just so unfortunate that it is such a celebrated thing to do that to like that more is better and that there's no end point to what defines more you know and um and I think that gets stuck in our brains and a lot of us who have struggled with us are perfectionists and high achievers and therefore you know we take it to the extreme because we you know want to do as much as possible and uh and I think it creates like this this kind of you know perfect storm for someone to develop an eating disorder. 
No, absolutely. And I, I love that you said that too, this like the perfectionistic part, um, you know, trying to do everything to the nth degree. It's like, oh, if I'm doing CrossFit once a day, twice a day is more. And society does validate that like, oh, exercise is quote unquote healthy. So if I'm doing this, I'm being healthy. So it is confusing. And the eating disorder kind of latches onto that. Like you're doing something really healthy, right? Uh, so how can this be bad for me? How can this be hurting my body if I'm doing something that everybody's saying is so healthy? So I think that's where it, it gets hard to know. I don't know your experience, but was it hard for you to know that this was actually something that was damaging your body because it was so quote unquote healthy and everyone was telling you that as well? Yeah, because I mean, I was preaching it, right? And I was in an environment where it was being preached. And so to me, and I was listening to podcasts where they were, you know, talking about these things and not in a, in a way that was promoting it and endorsing it, you know? Um, and obviously I probably took it a little more to the extreme, but these, these things are out there. You know, you look at fitness influencers, you listen to like health and wellness podcasts, and all of it is so hyper-focused on kind of like, quote unquote, like optimum health and optimum performance. Mm -hmm. But the behaviors in order that they're kind of that, that, they, that they talk about um, often are quite disordered. And I think that a lot of people don't even recognize that they probably have a bit of a disordered relationship with food and, and exercise um, as a result. But because it is something that's just like celebrated and talked about that they don't even realize it. So yeah, I thought everything I was doing, I I honestly thought everything I was doing was healthy. I really, truly did. And I convinced myself that what I was doing was for pursuit of health, even though in my mind, it was also like, but I actually just want to lose as much weight as possible. And so I think that that's the part where it gets also gets really tricky is like being able to redefine what health is for yourself and unhook those two things and then create a new relationship with it so that you're doing it in a way that isn't actually going to compromise your health. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I was listening to when you said to like, you were doing all of this felt in control, right? And then your body was doing the opposite of what you expected it to do, given you were doing all these quote unquote healthy behaviors, right? So feeling that out of controlness, right? And going to the doctor and being told, hey, don't do any of the things you're doing. I'm just wondering that moment of, for you, was that just like, wait, what do I do now? Like, how, yes. how do you control anything? Your body's out of control. You can't exercise. Like, what was that like for you? It was terrifying. It was really terrifying. And I know that sound, might sound silly to someone who hasn't been through it, but it was truly you know, like I, I remember sitting there and I remember like, you know, feeling panicky of like, what am I going to do? You know? And it was obviously coming from this like overwhelming fear of like, what's going to happen to my body if I stop? Um, which is, you know, coming from anti-fatness in our, in our culture, but that is what was driving that behavior as well as like this fear of like, I have to control my body. Like that, it was, I mean, it was my purpose. It was my identity. It was my purpose. So there was also a part of me that was like, who am I without this? What do I do without this? What are other people going to say? Because I was always kind of like the quote unquote, like healthy one talking about the latest like supplement or thing that I, that I was removing from my diet. Um, 
which in hindsight was probably really annoying to my friends, but <laughs> it's part of the, uh, part of the behavior. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I mean, I think we kind of like orthorexic style behaviors, I guess you would, they would probably cl be classified as. And so it was really, really scary. So I understand and can empathize with people who go through that. Um, because I think that sometimes from the outside, if you haven't been through it, you're like, well, what's the big deal here? <laughs> you know, like you just, you're, you're just have to eat, you know, eat more and like move less. And, but for someone who is really struggling and their whole identity and self-worth kind of is in a make it or break it position with their body size, it feels really soul crushing. Right. And, you know, I can relate. I shared with the anyone who's listened, like my story, it's very similar to yours. Um, that was absolutely my identity. So I totally get that. Um, you know, and it just occupied so much of my mind. It was like, oh, now what? Right. Like so much of my day was like, what am I going to yeah. do with it? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so I'm, I'm assuming there's people listening that are like uh, relating to this. Right. Um, absolutely. So, um, but it's not just, you know, when you're talking about control in the body and it, trying to control what it looks like, the weight, the, all of it. Um, you know, there's all this other stuff about your body. You can't control either. Like I know you and I were talking before we, you know, hit record here. It's like the fact that you can't control that your body's going to get older in age. And I think, especially for women in our society, you know, not only are they told, you know, to the toxic diet culture messages of, you know, if you're in this thinner, like societally idealized body, right? That we're all like, we know what that looks like. Then you're, you have more value. You have more worth, right? You're quote unquote healthier, all these things. This is the desirable body to have, but also, you know, control your aging, control this biological thing that, you know, happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so there's all of this, like, okay, what, how are we supposed to control our body size? And yet still be healthy and are aging and still, yes, we're getting older. Like, I'm just wondering your thoughts on all this. Like, what do you see with the people you're working with? Yeah. So I actually refer to anti-aging culture as the Nepo baby of diet culture, because I think that we can't, they, they mimic each other so much. And I think that our culture's fixation on appearance has gone beyond weight to also be now about like the way that your skin looks and and so i think aging is a, is a really big conversation because we've got our bodies are are going to change like hormonally if if you you know if you have um like a, a you know if you have ovaries in the uterus then you're going to go through perimenopause and menopause and actually, you just need ovaries for that because I actually don't have a uterus anymore. <laughs> Sorry, that's a whole other story, but I had a hysterectomy <laughs> or an ago. Anyways, um, so you are going to go through those changes and your body is going to change. And so I think we have this fear of like, you know, body size changing that if you haven't kind of worked on that and addressed that, that that's happening. And then on top of that, you have this idea that we become sort of like less relevant as we age, we become more invisible um, because we're not fitting within the confines of what society deems to be attractive and beautiful. 
And I'm putting those words in quotation marks. And I think that for some people, that can actually be empowering. Like to be to be able to get older and be like, you know what, I don't have to worry about the male gaze anymore, or I don't have to worry about um, like um, you know, like trying to appease other other people. Like that can actually be really liberating. But for um, some people who maybe haven't worked on their body image, and maybe their identity was really wrapped up in how they looked, that can actually be quite alarming. And it creates this other like sort of effect that goes on that makes us feel even more body image distress. And then we have these like new aging standards where you're also not allowed to have like wrinkles on your face or anything like that. And I think that that's a product of, you know, like the skincare industry, uh, which is I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I did a podcast episode on it. But it's it's worth billions and billions of dollars and that the anti-aging industry as a whole and that includes like things like hair dye and things like that as well but um but that industry also profits off of our insecurities and that also kind of like diet culture where once you invest you're you have to kind of keep investing for life it's the same thing with anti-aging culture like if you start investing in anti-aging creams which admittedly i still do um or like injections or things like that like once you stop using them, then, you know, your skin is going to maybe change back or maybe not so much with the creams, but definitely with the injections. Right. And so I think that it's also, it also kind of puts our, its hooks in us and has us as like a consumer for life. And it also tends to steal a lot of time and energy and money from us. So we sort of have like all of these things happening at once with our skin changing, with our body changing, with just sort of aging out of beauty standards, feeling less invisible. And it can be like a really distressing time for people. Um, And I think that we try, if we haven't done a lot of work around our body image, we might try to invest a lot more time, energy and money in trying to kind of like hang on to youth and hang on to the smaller body that we had. And, um, and it actually just creates more distress, I think, because then we're at a point where we're like 70, 80 years old, and we still hate our body. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's, um, I don't want to say like, that's a shame. I don't want people to feel ashamed of that. But that that's a shitty thing that that is like something that happens in our culture. I know that was really long winded. (laughs) No, but everything you said was so right on. Um, it's true, right? These, but it's these messages that are out there. And I, um, I think, you know, I've said this on here uh, in other podcasts, but I think it's, it's getting worse with all of these, uh, apps that can filter your skin or make you look, you know, flawless or whatever. I think there's this perceived notion that like everybody looks perfect because you're looking at pictures of even people, you know, in real life and wow, they look amazing. Right. They, they smooth out their skin. They have no pores. Like they have no wrinkles. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then people even look at themselves and like, they get used to seeing pictures of themselves that they've, you know, filtered or whatnot and think, Oh, I look so much better like that. So then when they look in the, their real mirror, right. Um, like, Oh, I want to look like that. So it's this, this like, disappointment almost like oh I am getting older um you know and I don't know how to combat that like but the message is you know I'm probably getting lots of feed on my own social media uh, just because of the age group I'm in but like lots of messages that really disturb me about like you know I'm not doing something right if I you know 
don't get rid of my menopause belly or if I this or that, but here's the solution. And then like, if I don't take the solution, I'm doing something wrong. And like, wait a minute, why are we not normalizing this? Like, Hey, this is a natural biological progression with our bodies. It's, you know, it happens. It's kind of like, why don't we, you know, it's, we, we, as women, right. As females, like, um, hormonally, right. We go through these changes. I was thinking about this, even with my own daughter, like, she doesn't look like she did at five now at mm-hmm. 15, like something hormonally happened in her body. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she, she, her body changed and that happened because of puberty and that had to have happened and she couldn't have stopped it. Right. Like I couldn't have stopped puberty either. Like, right. Yeah. Our bodies shift and change and they look different. A five-year-old body and a female doesn't look the same as a 15 or 20 year old body. And rather than like demonize that for menopausal women saying like, Hey, you know, when you go through menopause, your body's going to go through another shift and change. And, um, I don't know why we don't embrace that and like normalize it so that people don't blame themselves. Like I'm doing something wrong. If I, my body shifts and changes. Yeah, absolutely. I know I, I work with a lot of people who are like the majority of my clients, I would say are over 40 and they do experience that distress. And I think what makes it even more difficult is because weight and health have been so intertwined is that we start to, I don't know what your experience, I'm almost, I'm going to be 45 in a couple of months, but like, you know, you start to maybe have some more health issues when you get when you start to get older, and I know that's probably going to continue. And I think that you start to think about maybe like your mortality and because maybe you have like parents who are getting ill or have even passed away or, or, you know, like even friends who you've lost to certain illnesses. And so you start thinking about those things. And because health and weight have been interlocked, our weight, we start to, you know, we, we fear that like menopause belly because it, it might mean like, health issues and mortality and things like that. And so I think that that is another factor that it's like, it's beyond just the fact that, you know, your appearance is different and you might be deemed like less like, quote unquote, socially attractive. Um, But in, in our heads, I think there's also this thing of like, oh God, like you're, you're kind of faced with like, almost like these fears of, having your health deteriorate or, you know, mortality. And that, those are really heavy things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's also what's coming up. And so when we see these advertisements saying, get rid of your menopausal belly, it really can feed on those fears. And I think that that's, I mean, that's something I've heard from clients is that they're like, yeah, okay, my belly I can sort of accept it, but like, what about my health because of my body size or because of these body changes? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think we have a lot of work to do to unhook, you know, health from weight and to educate around how those changes are normal and healthy. And that weight gain isn't necessarily like going to have health consequences associated with it and how we can focus on our health without it being about our body size. And also just coming to terms with this is a bit existential, but like, that we are going to die and that we are probably going to have some health issues and it's okay to have feelings about those things too. So I'm curious, like if someone comes into your office and they are kind of having this existential crisis, like, okay, I'm getting older, my body's shifting, it's changing. It's kind of bringing to mind, like, you know, 
I'm getting older and that mortality of mine. Um, how do you work with somebody who's dealing with that? Yeah. So I think that like for, for me, so I'm a, I'm a coach. So my scope of practice is really, um, more about addressing the here and now and helping people move forward, feeling, um, like they know themselves better. And, you know, so I can help them with the emotions around that. I can help them with some of the fears and beliefs around that. Um, but I think sometimes if it's intense, like I would definitely recommend working with a therapist around that, but I feel like, um, which I'm actually training to be right now. And it's funny because I'm actually studying existential therapy at this very moment. Um, and it is about essentially like, you know, dealing with moments like that. So, um, so I think that if someone came in with that, I would really just be curious about what, what they're afraid of, where they've maybe, where that fear has maybe come from. So for example, is it because you've seen like your mother, you've maybe seen your mother's health really deteriorate and you're afraid of having that same experience. And I think it's about making space for that fear and being really compassionate with ourselves. So my role would be to help someone work on being extremely, trying to build self-compassion and trying to be really compassionate with the part of ourselves that's afraid of that. Because you know, I would love to say, well, that doesn't mean that's going to happen for you. But like, I don't know, you know, we don't, there's a lot of our health that we're not in control of. I mean, I just, a month ago, I developed tinnitus out of nowhere. And so now I have this constant ringing in my ears that I've been told is basically going to be permanent. So like, I, you know what I mean? Like things just start to happen and you're like, what the hell is going on with me? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we have to make space for the feelings that come up around that. And there's a bit of grief, like mourning mm-hmm. the loss of maybe like the carefree nature that we had before as it related to our health or mourning the loss of the body that we used to have. And so being compassionate with ourselves and making space for those feelings and then focusing on, you know, finding meaning and purpose in our lives and um, in in other ways that are outside of just like pursuing health or pursuing um, your body looking in a different way. Uh, because I think ultimately that's what builds up our sense of self-worth and helps us feel like, okay, we there's, there's a lot of meaning in my life. Um, and, uh, and cause again, like as you age, like you go through transitions where maybe like if you had kids there, maybe they maybe start to get older. And so they're not as dependent on you. And so, you've got like just, or maybe you retired. So you've got like these transitions happening that can take away a bit of meaning from your life. So finding that meaning, finding that purpose, that's also a helpful part of, of that process. And I work with people around that as well. So, um, but I think I just like, I feel like it's like, we have to normalize that conversation because I think that, um, I don't, and maybe it's just because I'm not in like all the spaces where there's necessarily a lot of people going through it. But um, I feel like maybe it's not talked about enough. Yeah, I don't think it is either. I think the majority of the noise is like, yeah, like, well, it drives me nuts. I don't know how you feel. But, you know, when people are just saying like, oh, you know, if you're thinner, you're healthier. Um, and so that's that seems to be like what people just believe. Like I can look at somebody and know they're healthy or not healthy. Um, and so if. I don't look a certain way. Maybe I'm not healthy. Like maybe I'm doing something wrong. I hear this all the time from people like, oh, I have to lose weight for my health. I'm like, well, are you sick? Or something mm-hmm. wrong with your labs? No. Well, th- what? why? Yeah. 
like where's that coming from it's just this like accepted belief like based on what though Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think you know we know that correlation is not the same as causation but doctors still treat it that way and I think that it's hard for people like especially if you are in a larger body when you go to the doctor the doctor just looks at your body size and Mm -hmm. so it's I feel like it is like kind of an innocent response to them want to protect yourself from that and that's all that has been reinforced is that you know you need to control your weight to control your health but we know that that's not true uh, because we know that there's no effective form of weight loss weight loss in the long term and so it sort of becomes a bit of a moot point and the best thing that people can do is to you know, shift some of their behaviors to focus on health promoting behaviors in a non-obsessive way. And that includes things like stress management and sleep, like looking beyond just like food and movement. Um, And also just acceptance that like a lot of this stuff is genetic and we don't necessarily have control over it. Um, A lot of it's because of the social determinants of health uh, that creates gaps in um, health outcomes. And Food and exercise really only account for a very small percentage of what we can control for of our overall health. And and yet we think it it's like a hundred percent, but I think it's more closer to like 15% or something like that. I know we don't talk about this nearly enough. I think people may like hear it or read it once and then it kind of goes up <laughs> out of their head. Um, and you know, kind of going back to the control and perfectionism thing, like, oh, I have to do this right or you know, I have to control this or I'm doing, it's like more of that. I'm doing something wrong and my body's representing like all that I'm doing wrong or I'm failing at. Um, and I think you're just speaking to that about like the, the low self-esteem and the self-worth and the confidence, like so much of it being wrapped up in appearance and, and body size. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important. Like, I really want to stress that it doesn't have to be this way. Like, I know you mentioned you share like, you know, stories on the podcast. So I'm sure that, you know, people understand that it doesn't have to be this way. But I'm t- I feel like I'm talking about this, like this, this dreadful experience of aging. But I think that, you know, we can go into it prepared and we can build resilience. We can go into it getting support and we can reclaim that time and energy and money that we would otherwise have lost had we not done this work. You know, like I'm, I'm so happy that, I'm not going to be that I don't, you know, think about my body that much anymore. Like, yes, mm-hmm. I now have the aging thing that's coming in. And I'm so I'm actively working with my working around that. Um, but in terms of body size, like it's, it's such a sense of it's such a big weight off your shoulders to not have that stress and to be able to go into like perimenopause menopause and be like, well, if my body changes, it's really not that big a deal. Um, because I you know, like it might be a bit of a pain to have to buy some new clothes, but it's like, I've done enough work and education to know that, like to expect it versus dread it. And, and so I think that if we can do that, it can become like a much more empowering experience for us and that we can go into it almost feeling more liberated Mm -hmm. um, versus uh, distressed. Right. I know that's easier said than done, right? Um, yes <laughs> let me put a caveat on that <laughs> for sure I know I mean it's just it's so infuriating to, for me just to read all these messages out there and things that like 
I don't know. It's it's like I don't know your experience, but like when I I know I knew when I got pregnant, like my body was going to shift and change, and I was going to look quote unquote pregnant. You know, like I was going to have the baby belly. I knew that was going to happen. My body was going to shift and change. It was to be expected, right? Um, so I went in knowing that. Okay, great. What I wasn't expecting afterwards was really kind of reading all that stuff that, oh, you know, this celebrity got their baby uh, body back within like three weeks. They're amazing. They're just all the pressure to like look the way I did before that baby, you know, came out. And that to me was like, wow, you know, because I had done so much work at that point on my own body. But I was like that if I hadn't done all that work, that would have really been triggering and horrible. Um but to your mm-hmm. point too, it's like, why don't we normalize other stages of life, like puberty, pregnancy, menopause, and say like, this is, these are just the changes that are going to happen. Expect it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is normal, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Because, because think about how many industries would fall if we did that though. And I think that's what it comes back to is the diet industry the anti-aging industry, like they don't, they just want money. (laughs) They just want profits. (laughs) They're not in this to help people. You know, we are their profit margin. And so they have a direct benefit. There's a huge benefit to them of keeping, you know, upholding these systems that, you know, upholding ageism and upholding sexism and upholding anti-fat bias. Like there's, they, they benefit greatly from this. And so I think that, you know, collectively we really have to reject these things in order to, um, in order to hopefully see some change. And I think small changes are happening. Um, but, uh, but there's, there's also kind of, like this other pushback where, you know, you, we're seeing like all these weight loss injectables and celebrities getting praised for these dramatic weight losses. And, um, as well as, uh, like this proliferation of anti-aging treatments and products. And so I think that sometimes I feel like we make progress and then, you know, there's all, there's like another kind of new thing that comes in and it's like two steps forward, five steps back. But I think that the more of us that keep fighting against it, um, the greater that hopefully we'll be able to change this for future generations. I hope so. I get the sense that is, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I get the sense that if we just let go of all those messages and all that pressure and we just were like, screw it, you know, like I'm going to let my body be what it is. I'm going to eat what I want, like based on like what I want. Um, you know, when my body's hungry, what I enjoy eating, not feel guilty, exercise and move based on like how my body feels good doing that. Not because I feel compelled to have to like punishment, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and just embraced like the body changes. I think most women would feel this like sigh of relief, like, oh, thank God. I like, <sighs> right. But I think that I don't know what's stopping that from happening. I don't know if it's this fear of like, oh, if I really did that, then what? Right? Like, am mm-hmm. I going to be the outlier? Like, mm-hmm. are people going to say I let? You know, I hear that all the time. Let myself go. Like, what does that even mean? You let yourself go. Yeah, you. What? What does that mean? Yeah, you, you let yourself actually like, yeah, age the way you're supposed to, and like, you let yourself like enjoy life and not like 
try to control everything you're eating and try to white knuckle it and try to like be something your body's not meant to be. And I'm just wondering like, why is that like demonized and like all these negative terms put around it? Like you're lazy, you're letting yourself go. You're this, you're that, you're not trying hard enough. Like that's horrible. Mm -hmm. Those are Mm -hmm. horrible, horrible words. And I think that's part of it too. It's like shaming people like, oh, shame on you for actually just like not buying into all the hype of dieting and trying to be smaller and trying to prevent aging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it it is hard to kind of be like the outlier. Um, That's why I think it's so important to try and find communities, whether it be obviously ideally in real life, but online, even like, you know, like your podcast community or my podcast community um, or, you know, other environments where you're going to be around like-minded people because it's really hard to kind of just do this on your own when you're swimming amongst people who are doing the opposite, you know? And I think that community aspect of it is so important. Like I see that when I work with people, like when they have a good support network or they're within a group where there's a lot of people doing this stuff together, um, it makes it so much easier to, so much easier to reject diet culture and reject Mm-hmm. Um, these harmful behaviors than it would be if you're just trying to do it on your own and you're being influenced by other people in your life who are also engaging in those harmful behaviors. That is so well said. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I feel it like a lot of my friends have had, um, you know, like Botox and stuff, which I don't judge them for at all. Um, but I don't. And it, and I, and I feel weird about it because I feel like the outlier. And so um, it's complicated, you know, and it's just like you have to you have to just stay really true to your values. I think knowing your values and staying true to your values and using that as your blueprint and guide point moving forward is super, super important. But sometimes it still feels really hard. <laughs> it really does. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, you know, not to, I'm not one to judge anyone who does whatever they want to do Mm -hmm. with themselves, but just kind of like asking yourself, like, do I really want to be doing this? Or is it, I feel like if I don't, there's going to be some fallout or I'm going to feel worse about myself or like, what is the underlying motivation behind it? Right. Yeah. What is the underlying belief? What are you really hoping to gain? And that's the work that I've been doing with myself around aging is like really examining that. It's like, why do I want what, you know, why, why is there a part of me that feels like I need to do that to fit in? Like, what does that part of me believe and doing some work around that? And, um, you know, I think getting support from somebody is always super helpful because you can have somebody kind of get to the root of it. And, um, and then it's much easier to, to work through, but it's tough. It is, you know, if people, if people don't like you or value you or see worth in you because you have a few more wrinkles or a few more pounds, like you really have to question the people you're around. Honestly, that's my, oh opinion. yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I don't know about you. I don't pick my friends based on like the number on the scale or the size of their pants or like how many wrinkles they have today. Like that is not the criteria I use for the people I keep in my life. I don't know. Not no. And, the, and I mean, at your funeral, I, I mean, I've been to several funerals and, you know, no one's ever talking about how the person looked like they're talking about <laughs> who they were. And I feel like that's 
what we have to keep in mind is like the essence of who we are is really all that matters. And that's what people value you for. Um, obviously if there's people that value you for the, how you look, then those those probably aren't good people to have in your life. But, um, I think sometimes we get, we forget about that. And I think thinking about that is also helpful. Like thinking about like, what would people say about you at your funeral? Why do your friends want to hang out with you? Like, those are questions that can also help us get to, um, a greater understanding of like, you know, who we are and, and what we truly offer this world, because we all have these gifts to offer this world. And we need to be able to appreciate those in ourselves in order to, you know, effectively like unhook from our, our parents being the thing that defines who we are. Hold on to that. Anyone listening, hold on to that last <laughs> thing right there. That's, that's it right there. Um, Summer, I know people listening are probably like, okay, so if I'm really struggling with my body image or, you know, want to work on having more confidence um, and I want to work with Summer, find out more about her, how can they actually find you? Yeah. So the easiest way is if you go to thebodyimagecoach.com, that will take you to my website because my last name's a little bit more tricky to spell, but it's summer in and in. Um, but yeah, if you just go to the body image coach.com, that will redirect you to my website. And then I have a podcast called eat the rules. Uh, it's been, I've been doing it for nine and a half years, gonna be ah. 10 years in June. Ooh. So there are almost 300 episodes and they're all centered around this. So I always tell people like, that's the best place to go to, to kind of get an introduction and get more. And then obviously if you want more in-depth support then um yeah I, do, I work with people in a group program that I run called you on fire as well I have um some private coaching although not much of it recently I just only have one or two spots and then um and then we we also have a body image coach certification program for providers so for dietitians therapists well and other wellness professionals who want to be able to support their clients with body image concerns so and then I'm on social media as at summer in and in Awesome. So don't worry. That's all going to be in the show notes. So don't worry if you missed it. Um, Summer, this has been a great conversation and you've provided a lot of great information. Thank you for all the work you're doing and helping people um, and for being here today. I really appreciate that as well. Um, any last final words before we end? No, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I really loved our conversation. All right, thank you so much. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.